episode of the mental health podcast today i'll be joined by augustine and we'll talk about mental health issues uh mainly focusing on bpd um and yeah augustine if you wouldn't mind just sort of introducing yourself uh, for, for our listeners that would be great thank you so much luke for inviting me to this podcast um i'm augustine tanner i'm i'm originally from chicago illinois but i live in the great country of the united kingdom for the last eight years I'm currently living in the northeast of England, but shortly moving to Manchester to work more for um, the Church of England as well as the BBC Religion and Ethics. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, so like I said, um, at the sort of the usual order for this podcast, we'll be dealing with three questions today. Um, the first one being, what is your personal experience of BPD, and how would you describe it to someone who doesn't know anything about it? Because I definitely do think it's a underreported, under-researched area. And I'm sure that, like me, many of our listeners, um, you know, won't really have any idea what it is. Um, so, yeah, that'd be a great first question. And then yeah. secondly, how should friends and family respond to someone who has BPD to make everything as easy and comfortable for them as possible? And then, as, you, as always, zooming out for the last question, what can the government, workplaces and other institutions do to reduce the amount of prejudice and misunderstanding directed towards people who suffer from mental health issues, uh, disorders such as BPD and schizophrenia? And now just going to look at some stats to back up, you know, everything that's said. Um, very dire, very dire stats, actually. Um, in the United States, Recent research has shown that 1.6% of the population has BPD, which may seem like a you know small number, but that's that's over 30 million people in the states, and about 70% of people with BPD will make at least one suicide attempt in their lifetime. That's courtesy of VeryWellMind.com. Also, the prevalence of BPD is particularly high in the prison population. So, in England and Wales, it is estimated to be 23% among male remand prisoners. And that's courtesy of nice.org.com. So, Augustine, starting off now, um, what is your personal experience of BPD and how would you describe it to someone who has never heard of it before? Yeah, thank you so much, Luke. Um, BPD is, um, is a range of symptoms, really. Um, but it's like kind of four main areas. And it's one is emotional instability. Um, two is like uh, disturbed patterns of thinking or perception. So they might look, um, people with BPD might have a very low view of self all the time. Um, three is probably impulsive behavior. And four would be probably intense um, and unstable relationship with others. Um, and I guess my experience with BPD is um, I was diagnosed with BPD, borderline personality disorder. Um, just before the global pandemic and um, um, last March 2020, um, I um, I was feeling really quite low. Um, I struggled with mental health most of my life. And um, I was feeling qu 
quite low and things were really bad. And um, I attempted to take my life. And um, that was really difficult. I was in a really bad situation. Um, and through seeing some medical professionals, um, they um, kind of diagnosed me with BPD, um, which makes quite a lot of quite a lot of sense, if I'm honest. Um, and um, as I've been on this journey of learning more and more about BPD, um, it makes more sense that this is kind of who I am. <laughs> um, um, and um, and it, the diagnosis was really correct. Um, people with BPD, it, it really, the core of it is having un, unstable emotional and instability in their life. Often people with BPD has had um, quite traumatic childhoods. Something has happened to them as um, as a child. And also, unfortunately, um, with BPD, um, it's often um, with women have BPD. And often um, a ma large majority of people with BPD often are of white European heritage. So um, um, I'm a man and I'm African-American, so I'm not the, um, the norm. But um, but that is generally the characterization of people with BPD. Um, like I, like you said, Luke, with the stats, lots and lots of people with BPD have massive suicidal thoughts, and it's quite they feel quite with despair. Um, they feel unloved constantly, um, and um, it often happens at night, which is a really interesting thing. Um, I'm, you know, I'm an academic, <laughs> um, an academic, I'm doing a PhD. And, um, you know, when I found out about this diagnosis, I just went full on and just read as much as I can, saw people and learned about it. Um, and then I've learned more and more that there's more people that I know um, that has BPD as well. Um, obviously, I won't give names, but, you know, even last night, I was up until about two in the morning because um, someone who I know who um, has BPD um, they, um, they were kind of self-destructive and they post, um, they post it on their Facebook, um, quite a pornographic, um, image of themselves with another person. Um, uh, I saw that and was quite shocked and I was like, what is going on? So I contacted the person, I brought four or five times and they didn't respond. So then I contacted some of the people that we knew had in common, even though it was two in the morning after Easter. Um, and uh, I was just like, you know, I'm going to, you know, I, I really, cause I didn't want that to happen. And obviously I found out through the process that that person actually has BPD, which I didn't know beforehand. Mm. So there's something like they can do really self-destructive things. Um, um, and they just quite feel empty and lonely for large periods of time. But yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I was going to ask as well. Um, so again, um, for a lot of our listeners, they might not actually know what BP, um, BPD actually stands for. So if you wouldn't mind just sort of explaining that that side of things as well. I know, I think a lot of people, um, they hear the word sort of bipolar and there's a lot of things that spring to mind. But I think a lot of people don't uh, from from when I've had sort of brief conversations with people in the past. Um, I, I think quite a few people actually don't connect bipolar with BPD and they, some people I've heard see it as sort of two different things. So if you wouldn't mind sort of just clarifying that, I guess, yeah. um, I, if anyone is confused and they're, and they're listening. Absolutely. Um, and BPD is really quite interesting. So there's misconceptions of BPD. One person would say, Oh, isn't BPD bipolar disorder? 
it's not. It, it is quite different. It's a completely different um, disorder. And um, so um, I'm American, so we use um, the DSM-5, so the Diagnosis Manual 5. Um, in the UK, they use something slightly different. But um, And they, they bipolar disorder and um, BPD are different. But BPD, borderline personality disorder, is not the same as multi-personality disorder. <laughs> that's another, that's a mi- yeah. another yeah. Um, mischaracterization of what it is. So you don't believe that you have different personalities. You don't have that disorder. Um, it's just, if you think of BPD, you often think emotional instability. That's really important. Yeah. BPD is emotional instability um, in lives. Yeah. Um, the best book, to look at BPD is called um, um, uh, I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. Um, and um, it's uh, and it, it really shows the understanding of people with BPD. Um, you know, if I said, Luke, I absolutely hate you, blah, blah, blah. And then you're like, you know what? Forget it. I'm going to leave. I'm like, please don't leave me. Um, so and that, yeah. that is very much a good understanding of what BPD yeah. is. Okay, yeah. So again, again for our listeners, so effectively what, what you're saying is bipolar, um, like you said, very different. Bipolar is sort of where you have unique personalities which are independent of each other and which are at certain times, whereas um, borderline personality disorder is more uh, almost, a, almost a state of constant confusion between different emotions and different feelings and um, sort of coupled with that, a lot of the other really harmful symptoms, such as um, really low sort of self confidence and things such as that. Yeah, and um, and so it's yeah. so multi personality disorder is different personalities, and bor- and mm-hmm. um, bipolar disorder would be quite a lot of highs and quite a lot of lows in short amount of times. Yeah, 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 perfect. Okay, yeah. Um, I was going to say as well. So it's interesting you say. So you're saying you received your sort of diagnosis. Was it just at the start of sort of the pandemic? <laughs> Um, when the first lockdown yeah it was two days before the the lockdown was wow (laughs) yeah wow wow yeah so do do you think um because obviously you said i think you're saying as well that when the diagnosis was sort of made you 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 fully understood it do you think that there's a lot of people who previously may have not realized that they had uh bpd and actually because of lockdown because of all that time spent to themselves actually that sort of um, made them realize and made them think, oh, actually, maybe I do have this. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, lockdown has made lots of people more open to understanding their own mental health. Um, and mm. um, it has brought up quite a lot of things, a lot of, for a lot of people, that's been really difficult. Lots and lots of people. Um, I think, um, and also, I, I've, sorry, I've been around quite a lot of people. So the person I spent most of lockdown one with, he, um, my really good friend, he actually doesn't believe in mental health disorders. Um, not from a religious point of view, but really from a philosophical. He just thinks that, you know, you know, just man up and do that. And, you know, I had that diagnosis and he was in the room and he was like, oh, you, you can get over it. It's not a big deal. Um, and he still doesn't, you know, really believe that there's mental health disorders at all with people. He just thinks that, you know, you can just somehow um, be better by this thinking yourself into betterment. So, um, so yeah, so it, it, so it was really hard to process a lot of that stuff during lockdown one, cause I was with him, you know, 24 yeah. <laughs> seven, you know, unless I went for a walk. Yeah. So it is, um, so yeah, so I think lockdown did make a huge difference in how people understand mental health and also understanding BPD. Yeah. 
yeah definitely I was going to say that again not naming any universities or institutions but I guess it can feel that way sometimes with uni where sort of you email with an issue and they're just like get better <laughs> you know um that is that is definitely something that I think with things like this like this podcast and, and things like that we're obviously people are entitled to their opinion of course but um I mean seeing the effects that you know mental health disorders have on people we're just trying to sort of educate and 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 sort of share you know a wide range of views from people who have suffered from from mental health um disorders but yeah I think this goes in this goes in quite nicely to the to the second question um we have today which is how should close friends and family respond to someone who has a BPD di diagnosis to make everything as easy and comfortable for them as possible um yeah I think one of the hardest things so like the stat you said lots of people with BPD I'm in a BPD support group um as well and lots of people yeah. with BPD um that um their emotions can be unstable, um, unstable, and it can be really hard. And I think some people with BPD, it can be really hard to be friends with. I can be think it can be really, really hard to, um, to just listen to. But I think one of the number one things I think with people with BPD is be true to your word. I mean, you should do that with anybody, but you know, really be true to your word. So if if Luke, if you said, hey, you know, you know hey if you need something like let me know like you know call me anytime yeah. like you know when people say that quite a lot but if you if you say oh i'm sorry i'm busy i can't do that or you cancel on me yeah, so yeah. it's so canceling on yeah. people with bpd is a huge deal um mm -hmm. and it, you know you need to be you know those type of things really um put a lot of shame and rage with people with bpd um, and obviously everyone yeah. is different everyone has their own different patterns and varieties of how to, to deal with unpredictable ways. But, you know, this is a huge deal. I also would say take their emotions about suicide seriously, even if it is a regular basis. It isn't people, people don't necessarily saying, oh, I'm just saying it so I can get attention. But it's also part of it is they feel in despair and they want to feel loved um, and people can be really surprised because it's common for people with BPD to feel suicidal with despair and then feel reasonably positive a few hours later. And that can be really confusing for people. Um, and I think that's really important to know. You know, so Luke, if I'm hanging out with you and at one o'clock, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm feeling really suicidal. And we have dinner at six and I'm like, oh, I'm doing pretty well. Um you might be like, wait, was that manipulative? Because that seemed manipulative, right? Yeah, yeah. That seems like you're being manipulative just so you can like get your way. Or yeah, certainly for for someone who doesn't understand and doesn't sort of know the background, I guess that is you know how it could um, potentially come. Yeah, and that's really that. hard, and it and can feel very very manipulative. Like, what are you doing? Um, but actually, that that's a huge that's important. That's important part of it. Um, I think also you know people with BPD, you know, they often you know, they can self-harm, they can binge drink, they can misuse drugs quite often. Um, and they're, because impulsive behavior is a huge part of it. Um, I can tell you from my own, you know, my own kind of thing is, you know, I used to have a massive problem with just like relationship after relationship after relationship. And really, that was really important. Um, and some people, it's gambling. Some people is having unprotected sex with strangers 
all these things, these like impulsive behaviors is a part of it. And it can be quite self-sabotage very much. And I think it's being aware of all these things um, because one of the big things is instability and having unstable relationships. So, yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, do you think that's, so again, going back to the um, statistics uh, where it states that, uh, yeah, among male remand prisoners, 23% um, show, you know, signs of BPD. Do you think that's related to that sense of in, like instability and that sense of sort of those impulsive, addictive behaviours that obviously in some cases can lead to, you know, breaking the law? Um, do you think that's where the link Yeah, is? I mean, I think we know from quite a lot of research from um, from child and from child psychology and adolescent psychology. Many people in prisons has had um, uh, a background, a childhood that was quite disturbed, mm. um, and yeah. trauma is a part of it. Not everyone, but many people. And BPD has a huge, huge part of it is understanding that there was trauma that happened in childhood that causes you to have this dis disorder. And that's a huge a part of the diagnosis, um, huge a part of how do we deal with treatment. Um, and I think that's a huge a part of the prison population. And I think that's the reason why it's so big in the prison populations, without a doubt. And how do we, you know, deal, how do we deal with that? Um, yeah. So, you know, it, you know, so some of the, environmental factors as being a victim of emotional, physical, sexual abuse, being exposed to a long-term fear or distress as a child, being neglected by one or both parents, growing up with another parent who had a serious mental health disorder, such as bipolar or drinking or drug misuse problem. Um, it, these all are different, you know, different things. And, you know, all those, you know, those factors is a part of my story. So, it, it kind of makes sense why I would have BPD. Um, so, yeah, so it, it's often these related factors that happen as um, an early adolescence, if not childhood, that develops. And lots of people in the prison population has that. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, again, linking back to the, the really interesting point you made of how quickly, you know, um, things can change in the mind of someone who has BPD from going... From, from being sort of really joyous, really happy, um, to then having really serious, harmful, suicidal thoughts. I think, um, I, I think again, that links to a wider sort of societal problem of taking people really, really seriously um, when it comes to, like I said, suicidal thoughts. And, and in this case, those that are linked to a disorder such as BPD, because we saw with um, quite a while back with sort of the, the Megan and uh, Harry interview, and then you have people like Piers Morgan using their platform to absolutely degrade someone's, you know, struggling in the struggles um, from the past, I guess. So, yeah, definitely. I 100% I agree with you on, on, on that point. Um, so I think one of the other questions related to this that I was going to ask, so you're saying that obviously there's a high prevalence um, prevalence among people who, again, have had childhood trauma, um, and, and childhood abuse and you know things happening in that really integral sort of early mm -hmm. growing stage um what is the possibility of someone perhaps later in life after a really sort of even though they may be um sort of fully developed you know scientifically speaking 
um what is the tr likelihood that say anyone listening like um again not to not to scaremonger but just to sort of again raise awareness um if they go through a really traumatic stressful time as an adult is there a chance that they could start so bpd symptoms or does it not really work yeah like that? i think it, i think um, you know i think one yeah. thing that with bpd is we don't have a lot of understanding of it if i'm honest so we are, yeah. you know, yeah. we're still trying to understand what it is. People are doing research. So we don't really know exactly how it, we know that these are the factors. So we've discovered that these are the people with BPD and these are what happened in their childhood. Um, most of these people happen to be women, majority. Um, most of these people happen to be um, of European descent. But we don't know the genetics. We don't know how this happens, we don't know, but most people it is um is diagnosed within um early adulthood. So so we know that um so we so it could happen and a lot of people are maybe not diagnosed. A lot of people are maybe walking around with BPD but doesn't necessarily know it. Um yeah. And, and what I would say as well there is I feel like this is not as as clean cut as as um, people make out. Again, you said there's not there generally hasn't been a lot of research taken into it. When I was trying to find um, facts and statistics to use for this podcast, um, they were very they were very much repeated across mm. different sites. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of material to choose from. Uh, I think with BPD, again, my understanding. Please feel free to to correct me if I'm wrong. Is it almost a spectrum? So sort of you get maybe people showing less severe symptoms of BPD and then people who it literally, again, takes over sort of every aspect of life. Do, would you say that it works on sort of a spectrum or is it, a, or is it like I said, for more clean cut? Um, yeah, I, I think, I think very much so. I think it is a, it is a massive spectrum. So, um, you know, so for instance, you know, there is a, um, there's there's a couple of things you know so for instance there's a idea of um splitting so that's part of being having bpd and splitting is basically kind of viewing everything as black and white or all or nothing um individuals tend to think that um in extremes individuals actions and motivations are good or all bad where actually in reality most things are you know gray you know um, and that's not for everyone. Not everyone has splitting. You know, one of the one of the scary, I think, aspects of BPD is disassociation. And disassociation is um, basically not understanding your surroundings, forgetting your surroundings, and taking um, taking it out, um, like taking not knowing what's going on. And I think that disassociation can be really quite scary. But I don't, I don't experience disassociation, even though I have BPD. So it is this massive you know, spectrum. Um, I think lots of people generally have a, um, a disturbance of identity and most, and lots of people have fear of abandonment. So that's another really big thing, Luke, as well. Lots of people with BPD has a f massive fear of abandonment. You're going to leave me, which is why I said, I hate you. Don't leave me. That's part of it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think the last sort of mini sub question that I'd ask on this um, particular section is, in terms of um, in terms of treatment, is there actual sort of medical treatment people can take to sort of um, reduce the symptoms of BPD, or is it more 
um, sort of everyday things that you can apply. Um, because again, like you said, it's very under research. I'm, I'm guessing treatment options are quite limited. Um, but currently, are there any? Yeah, so um, BPD is not um, regulated through um, um, SRI. So basically not, um, um, not medicine. So if people have BPD, you can't just give them medicine to help them. Um, medicine can help treat the symptoms so anxiety depression um um anti different antipsychotic medicine those can help treat the symptoms but there's no medicine to help someone um so one of the things that people do is they can do you know c uh, cbt cognitive behavior therapy but one of the most effective things that they have found is dialectic behavior therapy and and dialectic behavior therapy or um, dbt sorry a lot of acronyms um they um is basically usually a group therapy and um you gain trust and you help um regulate emotions and manage mood swings over time with a group of people um and work with interpersonal relationships about your daily life um, and one of the things that really helps in therapy that they do is um, self-help strategies for BPD. So basically it's basically how to manage those emotions, how to improve your ability to manage emotions. And that's a huge part of going through the therapy with that. Um, but that's a long period of time and, um, they still don't really know how long that is. It's not like, Oh, eight sessions, I'm done, but it's a, it's a lifelong treatment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that leads on quite nicely to sort of the last question we've got here, which is what can the government workplaces and other institutions, um, again, you could include their universities, schools, even hosp hospitals, I guess, in a way, um, what can they do to reduce the amount of prejudice and mis misunderstanding directed towards people who suffer from mental health, issues, mental health disorders? And again, today specifically BPD, but choose another example, um, things such as BPD and, and schizophrenia, which still, even in even in 2021, um, I think receive a lot of stigma and, and taboo. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the government, you know, and speaking about the British government, which, um, you know, we, you know, we have the National Health Service, which is amazing. I'm so happy about that. And, you know, we have, um, under, we are gaining a more robust understanding of mental health um, because of the pandemic, which I think it's been really good. But, um, you know, one out of five people are admitted to psychiatric hospitals have P um, BPD. And one out of 10 people um, seeking outpatient mental health treatment have BPD. So therefore, you know, you know, this is a huge part of the mental health, you know, um, central team and how we understand things. So I think one thing that the, that the government can do with universities um, on a um, very practical route is invest money in research about this, um, because this is quite a lot of people that experience this, um, that are experiencing with um, mental health disorders, and especially going to hospitals and things like that. So I think that can be you know a massive thing. I think um, those people who have um, neurodiversity and BPD is a mental health disorder, which means that you are a neurodiverse person. So um, I think it's really important to, um, 
when you are at university or you're at school or you're in your workplace to be able to tell people, um, tell your boss about this disorder that you have to say sometimes things are going to be difficult and how you um, and how you regulate that. Because I think when people understand, they're more prone to relate and give grace to one another. Um, and to be really frank, you know, sometimes people with BPD can be dicks, you know, um, you know, to be, to be honest, they, they can. Um, and I think that's, that's, that's one thing that is really important. So how do we help people regulate emotions by giving them grace and giving them the tools to be able to, um, not have self-destructive behavior, um, but, um, live, um, effective, um, appropriate, um, lives. Yeah, definitely. I think added on to that, and this, there's, I sort, I, I guess there's sort of three stages. It's, well, it's sort of, uh, you've obviously got direct time, resources, and money into research, and then you have education, and then you have change mm. in public opinion, public behavior. Um, I feel like in terms of education, um, again, not to generalize or stereotype, but I do feel like obviously because the majority of their lives um the older populations haven't really had any exposure to mental health again it was that sort of attitude which was just pick yourself up just move on carry on going um i feel like yeah i definitely feel like in terms of institutions such as schools and universities um i i think it not only educating them but actually again whether it's uh, gov government-led whether it's um again i don't like to make the podcast political but um, I mean I mean the vaccine rollout was good but other than that I'm not sure what else the government has led which has been good but uh, <laughs> if it, whether it's government led whether it's sort of led by um, institutions that have a good understanding of what BBD actually is um, I feel like it, the, the target audience mainly um, is sort of the older generations because again I feel like that's where a lot mm. of prejudice comes from um, I don't know if you've personally felt that or if there's, there's people in your life who are again part of sort of the elderly generation um but I, I certainly feel yeah I certainly feel that educating people who have the least knowledge of um mental health disorders in general would be a good way to start yeah I um, think you know you know so I yeah um I advocate for um so I advocate strongly with um black and Asian mental health um I, I really advocate I advocate yeah. for um you know, campaign advocate for people in um, in poverty and working class backgrounds, um, and often I think that um, people in working class backgrounds and people in Black and Asian minority ethnic communities um, often don't have the resources or their understanding of mental health disorders. Um, and um, there's been tons of research with this. And actually, I want to be able to um, to see people um, more aware of mental health. Um, from these backgrounds to be able to make, you know, fully functioning humans. Um, Cause I think that's really important to our society. So um, I really want the government to really invest in these, you know, um, these backgrounds, because actually one thing that I think people forget is trauma is a huge, huge deal for people, especially early childhood trauma. Um, and I think when we get to grips with some of this early childhood trauma and making you know, um, lives better for um, individuals in the UK, then certain things um, 
will have a better future overall. So that, yeah, so I think, you know, especially for people, you know, people in the council estates, people, you know, um, black and Asian communities, a huge, huge deal with mental health that we really need to investigate and not just say, oh, that's something else. That's only for, you know, the middle class. But this is something that affects everyone. And, um, you know, one thing, Luke, you were talking about, you know, people, maybe the older generation. I think a lot of things, you know, so lots of people, um, older people who have experienced trauma, they just would say, oh, this is how life is. And it's like, actually, you have experienced something bad and you need to have processed that. Because if you don't process that, like bad things can happen. Um, so um, and people are just used to just dealing with it. Um, but now we have resources and we have progressed in society that we can now name that and try to um, to really get to the root of that and try to, you know, sort it out, basically. Yeah, definitely. And I think actually to use a case study there, um, one of uh, the documentaries that I've watched recently um, focused on Derek Bird. I don't know if you've heard the heard the story, but effectively back in 2010, there was a taxi driver in, in Northern England. And uh, basically what happened is he literally went on a, on a mass shooting sort of rampage. And um, since, since that happened, I think all the experts and all the commentators in documentary, what they were getting at was that he'd lived his whole life with the attitude that mental health shouldn't be talked about. And he'd never felt comfortable going to anyone and actually talking to them about his, his, his issues. And of course, I, I, we, we can't say, you know, we can't say now which mental health disorders he had or, or which ones he didn't. But it's, 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 he, definitely, he, he definitely did experience some kind of trauma. And again, I've never emphasized or sympathized with, with someone, you know, as, 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 as evil as that. But at the same time, I think, again, that's the really sort of evil side of, of what can happen um if people live their whole lives just shoveling everything down because it will come out at some point um and unless you've gone through a really long process i guess of, of firstly understanding what the problem is how it affects you and then having a time of yeah processing reflection and then actually a time of healing um you will never actually truly defeat the well you'll never truly be able to control um the the disorder it will just be something that's always there lurking in the background almost like a absolutely and i think you know um, so just giving you just a short yeah. story um over over christmas i went to um uh, a friend's house and had dinner with his mother and him and uh, they were welsh and you know i'm african-american but living in england and um it was fantastic we had a conversation and one of the conversations led to um i was saying that i think it's really important to um to call people out on things that they do that hurts you um, which I know is a is a pretty um, em emotive word to say, but they said, you know, if someone is you know doing something, um, then you don't necessarily need to tell them that if it really hurts you. Now it's interesting because throughout that conversation, they were trying to convince me that you know you don't need to tell people if they've hurt you, but at the same time, she brought up a story about how um, how her cousin said something to her uh, at twelve years old. This this woman's about fifty five now. And um, she's never told her, but she has hated her cousin ever since. And I'm like, well, and I'm like that, that affects your relationship with her because you've never told her. She said, yes. Mm -hmm. He goes, yeah, but it would be too awkward to, ta to, to talk about it. And I said, well, I understand, but there's healing in speaking about that. And I think that, you know, we need to, when things are bothering us, when people have hurt us, part of the healthiness of our mental health is we have to bring that up. 
you know, if you just, you know, if you're just spitting gum and I don't like it, that's one thing. But if you, you know, Luke, if you, you know, lied and told someone else about something about me that wasn't true, that really bothers me, then I really need to say, hey, Luke, let's have a conversation because that really hurt me the way you do it. And I know. And then the issue get, gets resolved, whereas if it's not spoken about and if it, it it's just sort of um, it just sort of it's it stews, it just sort of, um, you know, stays sort of pushed down. And again, at some point, it's it's almost like when you first open a Coke bottle, sometimes, the you know, the lid can just fling right up because of the pressure that's built up. Um, because the coke bottle has been been shaken around, it's very similar. And if you don't, if you don't, again, apply careful sort of release. If you don't go through your problem really delicately, and and like I said, if someone's done something to offend you, if you don't bring it up with them and and seek forgiveness, then it will just keep on boiling up inside you until obviously there's some very there, there can be absolutely some very disastrous absolutely, and I and I think that's we need to be able to make those conversations. And I think, and I, I, I love the UK. I love the British. That's why I've, I, moved, I moved here eight years ago. But we need to create a culture yeah, yeah. that goes, I know this is confrontation and I know it's uncomfortable, but we need to talk about this. Mm-hmm. It's almost like the, uh, yeah. the stiff upper lip, isn't it? Sort of the British, <laughs> the British uh, stereotype. But yeah, definitely. Um, and again you're not only sort of you're not only sort of hurting yourself by not speaking again um we you know both of us really understand for anyone listening that any kind of trauma or mental health issue can be so difficult to talk about and bring up but at the same time um you're not only hurting yourself you're also hurting those people around you um and again it might not be might not be physically but certainly mentally if you're holding a grudge against someone, that's probably going to be on their mind at some point as well, whether or not they're suffering from a mental health disorder. Um, so it's definitely good if you do if you are holding any grudges or bitterness towards someone to just try and resolve it. And if they're not willing to resolve it with you, then that's uh, uh, at the end of the day, that's their problem. That's yeah, and you know, you've done everything you can. And lastly, you and know, one thing I wanted to say is, bridge. yeah, you know, so one of the thing, one of the things I do for work is I um, do a little consultancy. And what I do is I help businesses and companies and organizations and universities and schools create environment of, it's called psychological safety. And basically what psychological safety is, is being who you are at work or at school. So it's not being afraid of being who you are. And psychological safety lets you be who you are and not be afraid of the recourse for it. And I think when we have these psychologically safe environments like university, like like school, is we are able to thrive and be the best version of ourselves. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to be the best version of ourselves. And I think that's one thing that is really um, important for functioning as human beings. And how do we do that is, um, is going to really... Um, take a lot of energy for ourselves and quite a lot of um, work for society as well. 100%, yeah. Um, and until, uh, obviously, again, until that day comes, um, when when we do have sort of every, you know, every section of society, every demographic, having that place where they can just be themselves and be open with people, um, these statistics aren't going to aren't going to change 
Um, but yeah, thank you for joining us today, Augustine. Um, I, I was wondering if you had any sort of final. Yeah, I guess my final, final word. word would be um, my. So one of the things that I really want to do, my like vision, my life values is helping pe- helping people become the best version of themselves, and that is really important. And I think if you're listening, be a friend to those people who are suffering with their mental health especially with BPD and truly be there, be a person of your word, you know, make sure you're actually there. So Luke, if you say, I want to be there for you, call me if you need it, really do that. Understand your own boundaries without a doubt. There's a great book called boundaries by Henry cloud that I always recommend people to do to, to read and to try to follow it, but also just be true to yourself, have your values, have your vision where you want to go and stick to that. really good words uh, um, to leave us with um yeah to everyone listening if you think that this this um episode did strike a chord and you think it would really help anyone close to you please don't hesitate to share it with them uh thank you for listening and i'll see you in two weeks time